Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Uh, even though I can only see half of your face, it's so good to see you, the, the top half of your faces. And uh, great to have you joining us at home as well. Thank you for tuning in today. As Tim said, we're going to be continuing our series in the Bible book of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to chapter 19 of the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. Well done for making it today, those that are in the room. And uh, well done for all of the new things that you've learned this year. You've had to learn how to Zoom, you've had to learn how to wear a face mask, and now you have to learn how to undo these little communion cups. And I think you probably need a degree in engineering to be able to open them up first time around. But well done uh, for all of the things that you're adapting to in this time. Today, we're going to be looking at the story where Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, which is actually next Sunday. Now, I love being in team here at Hope. It's so good to do things in team. When you're in a team, you learn some things about yourself. You learn some things about the way that you see the world. And you learn some things about others as well. As a team here, we will review things. We review our gatherings. In fact, we'll be reviewing our gathering later this week, thinking, how did it go? What can we do better? What went well? And what will undoubtedly happen in that meeting is that there'll be some things that I observed that no one else observed. And there'll be some other things that I'll say, hey, did you notice that? And they'll say, that didn't happen at all. Or others who will raise some things and I'll think, I didn't quite see it like that. And the thing about reviewing events in teams is that you might see different things. You'll notice all of the main things are the same, but you'll, you'll see some things that are a bit different because of your personality and your bias, the way in which you uh, see the world. And what we have in the Bible are four accounts of Jesus' life and his teaching and his death and resurrection. We, we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got Matthew, the tax collector who Jesus called to come and follow him. And then we've got Mark, who was uh, the, the disciple Peter's apprentice. And in, in Peter's old age, Mark wrote down uh, Peter's memories of all that he had seen and heard. And then you've got Luke, this book that we've been working through over these last 18 months, this doctor who was uh, asked to go and take eyewitness accounts of all that had been going on in Jerusalem and, and beyond at the time of Jesus' life. And then you've got John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who in his later life wrote down his memories of all that Jesus taught and did. And what you find is, as they cover some of the same stories, they actually have slightly different recollections. The main events are all agreed upon, there's no contradictions, but they will see some things that others didn't. They will record some things that others didn't, either because they just didn't notice it at the time, or because they just think, well, this is not relevant for my audience. And the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey is one of those stories where you see quite different accounts in the different Gospels of exactly what happened, exactly what was said. But the main details of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the final week before he went to die on the cross, the details, the core details are the same. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at the account from Luke's Gospel, but we're going to be drawing upon the other accounts as we go. And so in a moment, I'm going to read uh, from Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 28 to 44. But before we do that, you'll notice if you've got your Bible open at home or in the room, you'll you'll see that at the beginning of that passage, it, it says that after Jesus had told this story, it was then that he entered into Jerusalem. He had just told a story. And it's important that we understand what that story was, because it's critical to understanding what is going on in this event of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He tells a story about a king who comes from a faraway land. He comes from far away and he comes into a new nation and it's in that nation that he is appointed as king. 
And yet there are some people in that new nation that reject him and say, we do not want this man to be our king. And so after some time of being king in this new land, this king decides to return back to from where he came, to, to return back to the faraway country from which he came. And before he returns, he calls 10 servants to himself and he entrusts them with a mina each. Now, a mina is about three months' wages. So let's say he gives them about £5,000 each. And he says, look after this and make sure that... uh, Put it to work. Put this money to work until I come back, is what he says. So he returns to his home far away. And then then after some time being back in his faraway home, he comes back again and he calls the servants to himself and says, what have you done with the mina that I entrusted to you? What have you done with the money that I gave you? And some of, the, uh, some of the servants have done really well. They've invested the money and they're able to give the king actually more money than what they were given in the first place. But some servants have been fearful and kind of worried about getting it wrong and they just buried the money and they've just given him exactly the same as what they received in the first place. And so the king says, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for the enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king in the first place, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. I mean, that's a pretty sobering end to what is quite a difficult parable. That's, that's a, one of the Jesus' B-side parables. It's not one of the main hits, is it? You don't get that covered in kids' work much. This is what, what is going on here. But it's what Jesus teaches before he goes into Jerusalem. So we need to have that in our minds as we read this account of Jesus going into the city on the back of a donkey. So here we go. Verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Unite it, sorry, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Great crowds have gathered because just before this event, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave. This guy had been dead for four days. Jesus had raised him from the dead. And they'd heard of many great miracles that Jesus has done. So crowds had gathered. They'd heard of his compassion. They'd heard of his miraculous power. And crowds had gathered. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Now the other gospel accounts record that the crowd also shouted, Hosanna, which is something we've sung this morning. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, you save or or save us. They they saw that this was the Saviour coming into Jerusalem. But they're pouring out their praise as he enters in. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, 
If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. He's saying even the inanimate objects know what's going on here. They can tell what's going on. They can, they can tell I'm the saviour. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, all of, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and then circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Shall we pray? Just ask God for his help as we unpack these verses today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are with us as we get into your word together. I pray you'd speak to each and every single one of us here in the room and watching on at home, that we would be changed as we take your word to our hearts. Amen. Amen. I want to share three very simple truths with us today. And the first of those truths is that Jesus is the king appointed over all the nations. This story is full of imagery that shows that Jesus is the long-promised king. He's the long-awaited king, this king that would sit on David's throne. And the people of Israel, they celebrated David as a great king. But there was a promise that one day there would be someone sitting on David's throne who would rule forever. And this is full of imagery to show that Jesus is that long-promised king. He's the long-promised Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that would be anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. And this is a procession towards an enthronement. That's what's going on here. Now, in a few years' time, in this nation, we will have, a, we'll have another coronation in this country. One day, our queen will die, and her son, Charles, will become King Charles III. And what will happen is we'll get probably a long weekend, and we'll get to sit in front of our TVs and see hundreds and thousands of people in London uh, packing the streets out, and King Charles making his way through the streets in a a horse-drawn carriage, getting ready to go to Westminster Abbey for his enthronement. And there'll be people cheering and clapping, and there'll be amazing scenes. Well, this is what's going on here. He's making his way through the streets, and crowds have gathered, and people are spreading out their garments before his donkey. I mean, I don't know who you would throw your coat on the floor in front of so they didn't have to walk in mud. Well, they're throwing their coats so this donkey doesn't have to walk in mud. This is a big deal. This is a a, a procession towards an enthronement. They believe Jesus to be the long-promised king. They're, They're waving palm branches, we learn from the other uh, gospel accounts. They're, they're celebrating. This is the king. He's come into our city. This is the one. And then there's this donkey. You, you'd think Jesus might ride into town on a stallion, wouldn't you? You'd think he might kind of come victorious. Well, actually, he, this is a sign. He's coming in peace. And it's a sign of his humility. But there's also something more going on here as well. Matthew's gospel makes it clear that Jesus riding on that donkey is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy that's made In Zechariah chapter 9, this is an open declaration that he is the Messiah, the king over all the nations. Because this is what the prophecy says. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. And he is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. 
His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. There's a long-promised king. There's a promise that comes again and again throughout the Old Testament of a king that's going to come, and he wouldn't rule just over one nation. He would rule over all the nations. And the people can rejoice because they've seen that this Jesus is a good king. He's a king full of compassion. He's a king of kindness. He's a king of great power. They've heard of his miracles. They've heard of his wisdom. He's a king. He's a wise king, wiser than even King Solomon. And just like the king in the story that Jesus told, he's come from a faraway place. He's come from heaven. He's come from heaven to earth. And just like the king in the story, however, there are some that say, we do not want this man to be our king. There's some who say, we reject him. The Pharisees in this story and many others say, we do not want this man to be our king. He is king over all the nations, friends. This is who we've bowed before this morning. This is who we've celebrated this morning. He is the king over all the nations. He's a good king. He's a wise king. He's a powerful king. He's just unlike the king that they expected. They expected a king that would come and set uh, Israel as a place of power once again in the world, where they would might have military might once again. Well, this is a king that they weren't expecting. They were expecting someone with great power and might to come and overthrow the Romans, but this king comes on a donkey. He's actually come not for a, a, a throne of earthly power where he can kind of rule over the nations, as it were, uh, with an iron fist. No, he's come to be enthroned upon a cross. That's what John's account makes clear when we read in John chapter 12. He says this, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. This is just as he's done this riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is what he says. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many, many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And he goes on to say this, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. This king, appointed over all the nations, had come to die. This was the reason he came. He came to be enthroned upon a cross. This is why he came. This was the reason for his arrival, to not be lifted high on an earthly throne, but lifted high on a splintered cross with nails thrust through his hands and feet with a crown of thorns jammed into his head. This was what he had come for. And after breathing his last on the cross, a spear was thrust into his side to make sure that he was truly dead. This is what he came for. What a, what a coronation. What a king. And after two days, as we already know, after two days, on that third day, as his friends came to wash his body they couldn't find him there because the tomb was empty and he had risen. He was alive. And after spending 40 days with his friends and followers, he taught them many things. And he said, I'm going to breathe upon you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses in all the earth. And then he ascended back to from where he came. He ascended to heaven. But he will return. The Bible makes it very clear. He will return. But before he ascends, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a deposit. I'm going to give you a gift. 
And, and, and Holy, the Holy Spirit is going to give you gifts, gifts of uh, healing and gifts of prophecy, gifts of speaking in different languages, gifts of teaching, gifts of service, gifts of compassion. Just like the king in the story that Jesus told, who gives his servants this deposit. Jesus is giving his disciples, before he goes back to from where he came, he says, I'm going to give you a gift. You're going to receive a gift. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And I, I want you to use the gifts that he has given you for my glory, to further my wealth, as we're going to see in a moment. To further the wealth. And what he means by that is many more people to come in to his family, many more people to come into his kingdom. So he's the king over all the nations, and he's the king who will return. But before he returns, he has entrusted to us great things. He's given us a deposit that he wishes for us to steward well. He's given you some things. Friends, if you are a believer in Jesus, which many of you are, he's given you some things. He's entrusted to you some things. Everything you've been given as a follower of Jesus has been entrusted to you that you might, that you might steward it well, that you might use it for his glory, to further his riches, to put it to good use as the king in the parable commands. And my question to you this morning is, what has God given you? What has he entrusted to you? What is it that he's given to you to say, steward this well? Steward this well and, and use it to further my glory. Use it to further my wealth, to bring others in to my kingdom. What circumstances has he given you? What gifting has he given you? What calling has he, has he made of you? You may not have that very clear in your mind. Some of you, you know, I've received prophetic words. Someone said, I believe God is saying this to you. And you know what that calling is. Maybe you're not walking in it just yet. Let me encourage you to ask God to speak to you and to, to give you words like that. So you might know, okay, I want to I pursue what he's got a hold of me for. Sometimes he'll speak to us just through the, the desires he puts within us. Some of you, you can't watch a documentary about such and such a thing without weeping. And you just don't know why. Well, maybe, maybe God's putting desires in you that you need to do something about that. Maybe you just know, I... I I can't help but leading people. and I want to gather people and I want, to, I want to encourage people. Maybe he's given some things to you in the way of leadership. Maybe he's given you gifts of leadership. What has he given to you or, or burdened, to, uh, burdened you for? And do you see yourself as a steward on behalf of the king? Do you see that he's given you something to, to, to look after and steward well? Jesus desires... A big family. This is what he went to the cross for. He went to the cross that, he, that many would become righteous on account of him. That many would be accounted righteous uh, by his work. That many would come into his kingdom. This is why he came to, to gather for himself a people who are, who are zealous for him. And listen, your, your circumstances, whether that be your job or your education... Your gifting that he's given you, the resources that you have, the gifts that you have from him have been given to you that you might steward them well, that you might see many, many more people ushered into the kingdom of God. He's given these things to you for that purpose. And yet the servants in the parable, some of them hid it away because they were afraid. They were frightened of what might happen if they got it wrong. 
They were, they were scared of what might happen if they didn't do it quite right, and so they just hid the money away. Some of you might find yourself in that situation. Well, I think God might be calling me to lead a life group next term, but I'm so afraid of what I might get. I might get it wrong. No one might sign up. People might not want to be part of my group, or I might not know what to do or how to pray for people. Or there might be things that you're just kind of overthinking or fearful of getting it wrong. There might be many other things that you're thinking of. I just I feel God is leading me that way, but I'm fearful. What if I get it wrong? What if I don't quite match up? You can be freed from that, friends. You can be freed from that because the reality is Jesus matched up on your behalf. It's not about proving yourself to God. He's given you some things and he's saying, I want you to steward them well. I want you to, to, to take a hold of what I've given you to do and to trust me with it. What is holding you back? What is holding you back? I want, to, I want you to be encouraged by, by two things today. Well, I think the Bible wants you to be encouraged by two things today. Two great motivators when it comes to service of the kingdom of God. The first is that as we look to the king on the cross, as we see him hanging there, as, we have, as we've taken communion this morning, as we look again to this king dying on the cross for us, as we see that it was from his mercy that he, uh, he came and, and died in our place, as we look to his great mercy, as we look to his great grace, as we celebrate it, as we see it was totally undeserved, as we see that we couldn't earn our salvation, as we see Jesus did it on our behalf, as we look to him in view of his mercy, it's then that we say, God, have it all. That's the first great motivator, is in view of the mercy of God in what he's done for us on the cross. That's the first great motivator when it comes to service, of God in his kingdom. The second is that he will return. That's the second great motivator, is that he will return and he will bring with him a reward. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Something that we don't actually talk about all that much because we are so committed to the doctrine of the grace of God that we don't earn our salvation. That it's not about what we do. We sometimes miss out on some teaching about reward. And I want to touch on that in just a moment. So two great motivators the, the, in view of the mercy of God, we lay our lives down. We say, it's all yours, Lord. And the second is that in view of his return and his reward that he will bring with him at his return, we give our all, all to him. The king will return. He's not going to return on a donkey. He's going to return, actually, next time on a stallion in great power and glory. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Just try and picture this in your minds, friends. Jesus, the mighty king, returning. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. There is a time coming when he will return 
And this time, not on a donkey and with humility, but on a stallion and coming to bring judgment, coming to bring judgment to the nations. This is not a popular thing to teach. It's not gonna, uh, I'm not going to get lots of slaps on the back later. You can't do that anyway. But I'm not going to get many slaps on the back later saying, great, thanks for teaching that. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus will return and he's going to bring judgment to the nations. Friends, we need to be found in him at that time. We need to be found trusting in him. He will, he will return. He's got this name written on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of all Lords. He is the King over the nations. He's coming again. And he says that he's going to bring a reward with him. He says in Revelation 22, just a couple of chapters after the one we've just read from, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Bible is, is really clear that we are justified through faith in Jesus. It's not about what we do. That's not how we get saved. That's not how we get forgiven. It's just by trusting in the one who died in our place on the cross. It's not about working hard and then God will one day say, finally, you've made it, you've done enough, and now I accept you. No, it's justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible is crystal clear on this. And yet, and yet, Jesus is coming with a reward. He's coming with a reward. And will reward those according to what they've done. This isn't a reward of, well, you've done enough to earn eternal life. This is a reward to say, you've stewarded well what I've entrusted to you. And there will be some who will be saved, but it will be kind of like, well, we just about got through the fire. And that's just simply through... I've placed my faith in Jesus. All of us will be saved and we say, well, it's all because of Jesus. But there will be some for whom there is a greater reward. And we, we don't really know what that even looks like. We can't even fathom it. But we've got to see this is a clear teaching of the scripture. There's, there's, there's time and again, there's talk of reward. And we've been entrusted with some things. We've been given some things to be getting on with. And so this is a great motivator for us in service. There's a reward coming our way. Let's live with the return of Jesus in our minds. Let's not be slothful. Let's not be kind of lazy. Let's not be living in fear. I can't do anything because I might get it wrong because Jesus is going to return and he brings a reward with him. Let's live with this in our minds. He's going to come again. And you might think, well, it's been quite a long time now. It's been 2,000 years or so. Well, the Bible says that the Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. This is what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God looks upon the world with compassion. He looks upon the world with compassion in his heart, and he longs for, for all to come to repentance to turn away from all that they've been running headlong after. Maybe you're running headlong after all that the world runs after. Running after just being popular, the praises of others. All I want is for people to think well of me. All I want is for people to say, he's cool or she's cool. or All I want is for people to fancy me or whatever it might be. Running headlong after, if I can only get enough stuff to be able to get a great car 
going to get a great house one day. He wants us to turn around from those things. And all the, the praises of men see, no, no, I want, I'm going to place my trust wholly in Jesus. His, his well done is enough for me. He wants us to repent. This is why he has not yet returned. This is God's heart towards the world. He has compassion. This is his heart towards Ipswich. Not that we might look over it with judgment and feel that we're better than the people in this town, but that we look upon it with compassion and say, these are people who need Jesus. Just like we need Jesus. Just like we need him. We look upon this town and say, this is a, a people that we love it's the people who God loves and the people who need to know Jesus. There's a time coming when this glorious Jesus will return and will judge the nations. And those who've trusted in him will be with him forever. Will be with him forever. Now is the hour of salvation. Now is the hour of salvation. As we read in that story, or as we heard in that story that Jesus told, there will come a time we say, bring those enemies before me who did not want me to be their king. And we know that what the Bible teaches is that, that what will be the case for those who have said, we do not want Jesus to be our king, there will be separation from God for eternity. Separation from God, which is actually worse than being executed. Because he's the source of all that is good. He's the source of all that is good in this world. Take that out of it and it's not good at all. There's no good. Now is the hour of salvation. You can have your sins forgiven. You can know this God. If you're here this morning and you don't know this God, if you're here this morning and you think, maybe I've even grown up with it, but I've never made this Jesus my king. I've never turned around and said, I'm not going to run after those things anymore. I'm going to run after you, Lord Jesus. If you've never done it, you can do it this morning. If you're watching on at home and you just know, I've never given my life to this king. I've never bowed before him and said, it's all about you and it's all for you. You can do that today. Don't delay. Don't delay. Don't be like the, the, the people of Jerusalem who Jesus wept over and said, you didn't recognize it when God visited you. Maybe you know just influence in your life. Christians around you have shown you love shown you such wonderful kindness. Recognize this is God's kindness to you. Recognize that they are actually changed by Jesus. And God is calling out to you to come to him. Don't mistake what's going on here. God is calling out to you. Let's bring this into land. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Do you want to stand where you are? Maybe you want to stand at home as well. And we're going to pray. We're going to respond to this King Jesus. We're going to respond to him. And we're going to just say again to him, Lord Jesus, we give you our all. In light of what you've done, we're going to say that to him. And I just want to encourage you, as we pray, you can whisper under your breath. You can speak out softly. Tell him your prayers. Give him your prayers. Listen to mine, by all means. But give him your prayers as well. Reaffirm to him your commitment to him today. And this is a moment for anyone who doesn't know this Jesus. You might want to say, Jesus, you are my king. I'll make you my king today. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. Let's pray, shall we?
Lord Jesus, we say, Lord, you are king. You are the king over all the nations. And Lord, we honor you as king today. Lord, our hearts bow before you. Some of you might even want to just bow before your God now. Lord, our hearts bow before you. Lord, we say we don't want to live to build a kingdom for ourselves. We don't want to live to build a kingdom full of praises for us. I don't want to do that for my life. I don't want to live for the praise of men. I want to live to point people to you, King Jesus. I don't want the crowds cheering my name, waving their branches at me. I want the the crowds to cheer your name, Lord Jesus. Why don't you just say that in your own words to the King? It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. You're the King, not me. You're the King over the nations. And you're the Saviour King. Hosanna, we cry. You're the Saviour. Would you come and save, Lord, even today? in this room or those watching on at home, would you come and save? Would people come to know you as their saviour? Lord Jesus, because we know you will return. You will return to judge the nations. And all those who are found in you will be saved. All those who have looked to you and trusted in you, who have thrown themselves on you, will be saved. We thank you that we have a great salvation. We have a great future, a great destiny before us. Help us, Lord, with that in our view, with the cross behind us and the, and the glorious future before us. Let, our, let, let us lay our lives down in service of you. Let us use what you've deposited in us well. Lord, our circumstances. Lord, whether we're parents, let us see what you've given us to steward well in our families. Lord, in our workplaces. Lord, in all the things that you've given us, the resources we have, let us use it well, steward it well. Let us not be in fear. Let us use these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. Come and shower us (laughs) afresh in your love as as we worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.